be turning to Mark chapter 14, if you've got a Bible with you. Otherwise, the words should appear on the screen behind me. In a moment, we're going to read the first 11 verses of Mark 14. Okay, Mark chapter 14 and verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus and secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethlehem, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We've been back in the book of Mark for several weeks now. What we see here is we are rapidly approaching the cross. We're rapidly approaching the climax of Jesus' earthly mission, his earthly ministry, his on his way to the cross. We can see in this chapter, the NIV's helpful, in this case, um, titles tell us that by the end of the chapter, we'll have been through the Last Supper. Jesus will have predicted Peter's denial of him. They'll have been through the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus will have been arrested. He'll have been before the Sanhedrin. And Jesus' prediction will have come true. His Peter will have disowned him. We're rapidly on the way to the climax. And we can see that we've been looking in the previous couple of chapters. Jesus has come riding into Jerusalem. He's caused a lot of fuss in the temple. And there's been a lot of discourse. And the leaders and the priests coming to him, there's been questions. They've asked questions. He's asked questions. But as Mark told us in In Mark 12, verse 34, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. The questions have stopped. And now, as we see at the beginning of Mark 14, now there's only one thing on their minds. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. We're on our way. There's only two days before Passover. But we see... Today we see Mark's kind of, what he does all the time. We start with a story of the leaders scheming to arrest Jesus. We finish with Judas agreeing to betray him. 
But in the middle, Mark takes us to another story. To a woman bringing a wonderful gift. To a, wonderful, a woman bringing wonderful worship. As Mark does all the time, he kind of wraps one story around another and says, look, focus in here and see what this is all about. In this case, Matthew does the same thing. In Matthew chapter 26, we see the same, the same thing, but we can see the comparison in Luke 22. When he talks, he says, the leaders were scheming. And then Judas decided he was going to betray Jesus and doesn't mention this story. And we could ask, we could ask different questions there's some form of a story of a woman bringing perfume to anoint Jesus in all four of the Gospels. We could probably see that Luke's account talks of a different situation, of a different time, of a woman coming, a sinful woman who comes, washes his feet, pours some perfume on them, and then Jesus has a, a, a discussion with those present. Look, yes, yeah, she, she is a sinner, but look, look how much she's showing, look at the love she is showing, look at the Look at how much, uh, look at the forgiveness that she's received. Whereas we could probably see, and most commentators probably agree, that Matthew, Mark, and John are probably describing the same event. There are some differences. John gives us some more insight into what's going on. And if they are the same event, then we know that actually Matthew and Mark, they're reflecting back to what happened a few days earlier, just before the triumphal entry. And Martha's there, and Lazarus is there. And the woman who comes is Mary, Martha's sister, who comes and pours out perfume. Perhaps that is the case. Perhaps it's a different event. Actually, it doesn't matter. Actually, it doesn't matter. What is important is we see Matthew and Mark both see the importance. Let's focus in, see what's happening. The leaders are scheming and plotting when they draw our attention to this woman and to Jesus' response and the response of the others around her. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to focus our attention in through this story, see what's going on. And the first thing we see from this story, first thing to draw out, is actually what Chris started the meeting with. God's in control. God is in control. Because you see, first in this story, we see the scheming, plotting leaders. They've got their plan. They've got their idea. We want him dead. We need to get rid of him. But at the same time, they're scared of the crowds. They're scared of the people. They want rid of Jesus so that they can stop him causing any trouble. But they're fearful. We've seen before in Mark 11 how they... They refuse to answer the question because they're scared of what the crowd would would do. Mark 11, uh, they question Jesus about, well, whose authority are you acting in? Who's given you authority to do these things? Referring back to what he's done in the temple, in turning the tables over. Jesus asks them a question, says, John's baptism, where did that come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? And you see their fear. And they're, we've got to try and sit on the fence and try and keep hold of, keep everything quiet. If we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? Understandably. 
If we say from human or of human origin, what are the people going to do? So we see these fearful, worried priests. They're looking, they're looking to get rid of Jesus to stop him causing trouble. John tells us in John chapter 11 how they're, they're looking, they're worried that if Jesus carries on causing the trouble that they think he's causing, what are the Romans going to do? The Romans will come. They'll take our nation and our temple. What will we have then? What will we have? They're worried. But the story starts with them. They're plotting. They're scheming. It's their plan to get rid of Jesus. They're trying to get rid of him. But actually, as we focus in on the story of the woman, and particularly on Jesus' response, what do we see? Jesus' response to those who reply to the woman. Mark 14, verse, verse 8. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Just focusing on that sentence. Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus is completely prepared for what is going to happen. The leaders think we're plotting and scheming to get rid of him, to stop him, to stop him doing any more damage. But at the same time we see, look, ultimately this isn't their plan. Ultimately this isn't their plan. Jesus is marching to the cross. Jesus is advancing to the cross. We've seen that right back in Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. A few chapters back. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid. And again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Who will mock him and spit on him. Flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. We see the leaders trying somehow to come up with a plan how they can keep themselves in position, but they can get rid of Jesus and stop him causing trouble. What do we see? Jesus is in total control. Jesus is in total control. God's plan is being worked out. Even as we see the leaders plotting and scheming and Judas going to them and saying, I'll do it. I'll hand him over to you. What does Jesus show us? No, this is what's going to happen. This, this was always what was going to happen. God's plan being worked out. Ultimately, Jesus is going to the cross. Ultimately, not because of their plots and schemes, but because God so loved the world. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Because Jesus, who in very nature was God's, made himself nothing, became obedient even to the point of death. the plan it's God's plan so we see the wonderful words in Hebrews chapter 2 Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 wonderful truth of what Jesus has done 
Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This was the plan. Jesus had come and he is marching to the cross. He is, he is he's advancing. It's the truth for us today, as Chris reminded us at the outside, outset. He is in control, whatever it is we see. Here we see plotting, scheming Pharisees and Sadducees and chief priests. And the fearful reaction could be, what if they succeed? What if they manage it? Is Jesus going to escape somehow? No, he's in control. And the truth again, as we've seen this week, when people put their hope or recoil in great fear in Donald Trump one way or the other is he going to make America great again or should the world be in in complete fear of what on earth is he going to do as we hear more and more one way or the other on Brexit as we hear of war and of persecution in Syria and in Iraq and in other places now even then as Dan was reminding us last time yes we will hear of wars and rumours of wars in these last days, after Jesus had come, has come once and we're waiting for him to come again. There's all sorts going on, but he is in control. He is in control. He shows it wonderfully in his response to those who object to the woman's offering. So firstly, Jesus is in control. God is in control. But then as we see, as we focus in and we compare the attitudes of the priests and the, the teachers of the law with the wonderful acts of the woman. We see, a, we see a king who is worth worshipping. We've seen the priests, they've made their decision. They've made their decision. They want Jesus dead. They want him out of the way. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want any more trouble. And we see the stark contrast of this woman. They've clearly rejected him. She comes and brings something of great value to him. We see them who are hiding away, trying to somehow secretly work out a way to get Jesus out of the way. Oh, we can't do it in front of the crowds. They'll go mad. She stands up in front of those present and says, I'm coming with this extravagant worship. I'm coming. Whatever they think of it, whatever they say, I'm coming with this. And she does something radical. It's a radical act of worship. In one sense, the anointing itself, pouring out something over his head, was not radical. We see in the, when Jesus responds to those who object to the woman in Luke, we see actually this kind of, this kind of thing could have been kind of expected for an honoured guest. An anointing with oil. On his head, as as, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, verse 44, he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, who was hosting that meal, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet, and you did not put oil on my head. But she's poured perfume on my feet. Well, in this case, this woman's come. She's come with the anointing. 
on his head. She'd come to pour out. Something that maybe, maybe people would have been thinking, okay, maybe that's what she's going to do. But she's walking across the room. She's coming with this stuff. She's going to anoint him with oil. And she breaks the bottle. And suddenly they realize that's no oil. This is fragrance fills the room. And they suddenly realize, what's she doing? What is she doing? Pure nard. It's this expensive perfume is got from an oil of some plant that was growing in India and Nepal and imported in. Back in those days, imported at great distance. And even then, we probably think, oh, she pulled perfume on his head. Perfume that was worth a year's wages. A year's wages. She poured it out. We see the love that she has decided to pour out. She said, Jesus, you can have it. Jesus, you can have it. Regardless of the cost. And yes, a cost of expense of the perfume, but regardless of whatever the reaction is going to be. You can imagine if she walks across, what are they going to think when they know what it is I'm pouring out on his head? What are they going to think? But no, she's not put off. She's not put off. She has a great conviction. Look, this man is worth it. This man is so worth it. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is God himself come to earth. I'm bringing everything to him. I'm bringing this. You can't stop me. I'm going to do it. We saw in Mark 12, verse 30, the, the, uh, that teacher of the law who came to Jesus, Jesus asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He answers, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. Love him now, with everything. Why? Because he is worth so much. He is so valuable. He's so much bigger, so much greater. And this woman doesn't let anything hold her back. And yet how often can we be held back by a sense? What are people going to think? This seems just a little bit too crazy. Whether it's in a setting of corporate worship or wherever, where it's, <clears throat> where it's as we step out in living for God in whatever circumstance. How often can we think, that just, that just seems a little bit too silly. That just seems a little bit too radical. Well, here was the year's wages poured out. Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth everything. And looking back now from the perspective of seeing, we see where Jesus went. We see, he declares it, he declares where he's going. We can see the result of all that he has done. We can see this stark contrast of the priests and the teachers of the law who've rejected him. Oh, we are those, if we've come to him, we're those who receive him and worship him. He's so worth it. Look what he has done and look who he is. God himself. So worthy of worship and this woman pours it out. You see, we can focus in even further 
we see that this story of the woman being bringing her, her worship it's kind of wrapped inside this story of the priests and Judas forming their plan together. But right in the center, we see the reaction of those present and Jesus' answer to them. And in it, we see a warning and a challenge. We focus in right to the center, drawing us in. So what do we see? She's poured out the perfume on his head. And then verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. In one sense, our immediate reaction could be, they seem to come with a sensible point. Look, there's some common sense here, of course. This was expensive perfume. Couldn't we have done something really useful with it? Couldn't we have done something better with it? Couldn't it have been given to the poor? But their seemingly good point kind of hides possibly any number of, of issues of the heart. John is very clear he focuses right in on the fact Judas was involved in this. Judas was one of those objecting. And it's very clear about why Judas was objecting. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we see this, the story as John tells it. In verse 4, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected with that objection, why isn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. But John comments, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And on the extreme end, there can be a real sense of actually our self-interest can get in. There can be all sorts of bad motives that can cause us to object to all sorts of things where people are coming in genuine worship to God. But Matthew and Mark, I think, are deliberately much more vague and much more general about who is objecting. Mark just tells us some people. Matthew goes a little further and says some of the disciples objected. It can be so easy for us to react to things in a a cynical or a sceptical way, to let a kind of hardness or coldness of heart creep in. And we see someone coming with something so beautiful. It's like, what a waste. What a waste. What? Let's look at Jesus' response and look at this a bit further. Jesus responds to them in verse 6. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare it 
for my burial. And then this wonderful sense, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus, in defending the woman, in one sense doesn't criticise the sense of serving the poor. He didn't, he's not dismissing them and saying, no, of course, don't serve the poor. No, he's saying, this is, that's, that's key, that's vital, that's important. But he lifts their eyes to see actually how wonderful the thing is that she has done. Whereas they saw, it could have been used for the poor, that would have been better. Jesus says, no, serving the poor is so important, but look what she has done. Look at the wonder of what she has done. I don't often go massively into the detail of looking at the original Greek. But looking at, I, I loved this phrase. And just looking at in, an uh, interlinear Bible and seeing that phrase, she has done a beautiful thing for me. And seeing how the, the, a literal translation from the Greek could say, ideal work, she works in me. Look what she's done. This is best. This is, this is the ideal thing she could have done. Look how wonderful it is. And as the NIV gives us, she has done a beautiful thing for me. Jesus lifts their eyes to see. Did she understand all of what she was doing? Did she understand fully what the significance of it that she was bringing? She brought perfume and poured it out did she understand all the significance of what jesus then says before she did it she's anointed me to prepare me for my burial look look at the 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 wonderful opportune moment that she has come at this time when i'm on my way to die for you and she's done this wonderful thing did she understand all of that beforehand actually possibly not probably not but she came with what she had. And Jesus knows the significance. He sees, look, this thing is beautiful. And so challenges their response. You haven't recognized what she's done. You haven't recognized what she's done. And one says, how can you stand there and call it a waste? When she is anointing the king of kings as he goes to the cross. All sorts of wonderful things that could have been done with the money, that could have been done with that perfume. But she chose what was best. She chose what was ideal. She chose what was beautiful. And the challenge to us is, is actually to guard our hearts. That actually it would be so easy in different situations to react like those present, some of those present did. For our hearts to become slightly cold and hard and to think to see wonderful worship being poured out. Perhaps our heart perhaps our hearts are just because they're busy hearts. Interestingly, that John shows us in his account, this is Mary and Martha. Martha's there in the background serving, and Mary comes with this. Remind if just a little of the story that Luke recounts in Luke chapter 10.
where Jesus comes to the house of Mary and Martha. In verse 38 of Luke 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to make. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus' reply, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's so easy for our, our hearts and our minds to be distracted by so many things, and so many things, it would be so good to do this or to do that, or I've got to get all these things done. And Jesus, in both those stories, in this one and that, just said, come back to me. See what this woman has done is good. It's interesting that all of the Gospels show something of a similar story. A woman, in three of the, three of the accounts, an unnamed woman, who comes with what she's got. In Luke's case, she comes and washes Jesus' feet and pours out perfume on him. And Matthew, Mark, and John talk about this perfume being, but this valuable perfume being poured out, offered to Jesus. And in every case, we see the kind of cynical, skeptical, mocking response of those who, as we look at the story, we would think they should probably know better. Jesus points out to us guard your hearts. As Proverbs 4.23 tells us, guard your hearts. I'm stuck between two translations. I'm going to look it up. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Or as it says, in other ways, that it's the wellspring of life. Hearts that are soft to him, hearts that are coming in extravagant worship, hearts that we want to be stirred to bring, to bring what God puts on our hearts. But how often can we be held back by so-called common sense, or that would be too much, or that would be too radical, or what are other people going to think? So we see through this story the Jesus who is in control. The one who is prepared to go even to the cross for us. And we're called to worship. To come boldly to him who is in control. To come freely with hearts overflowing with the love that he has shown us. And to press in without inhibition. To worship our king. Not worrying about what others are thinking, but to bring what we have. She brought what she had. And Jesus showed her how wonderful it was in his sight. But also not checking others or sceptically thinking, what, what are they doing? Like Michal reacted to David as he danced before the Ark of God. David wow. The wonder of this, God's back in, we've got the presence of God back. He's dancing in an ephod. Michael's like, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? You're the king. You're dancing around. So he's worth pouring out a year's wages. He's worth risking looking a bit silly. So as we worship, let's come with everything we've got. As we go into this year, in one sense, the others had a point. There is all sorts of things that could be done. All sorts of things that we could use our money and our time for, but let's keep coming back to him. And see, we want to be doing what's on his heart. What's on his heart? His plan, his mission. Let's hear him and come back with worship. Amen. Let's pray.